Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Sam Streeter, who is as close as you get to a professional comedy fan uh, when if you don't consider if you don't consider the fact that she's not the one who's making any money. Um, she's an excellent human being and she's been around the scene for longer than most of the comedians I know. I had a really interesting conversation with her. I've been wanting to talk to her for a while about the nature of, of what it is to be an audience member and and the idea that as an audience member you have a responsibility or not <laughs> to make the comedy good by laughing or participating or paying attention or whether that's all up to the comedian. There's this interchange of energy and power that happens on stage when there's a performance going on that comedians are very conscious of, but most audiences are not. And then you step to this kind of next level of audience. And I just wanted to talk to her about it because I thought she would have some interesting things to say, which indeed she did. Um, Thank you, everybody who's been donating on Patreon. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's emailed me at alicerfraser at gmail.com. If you would like to um, let me know when you send me an email, whether you mind me reading it out on air, that would be cool because I'm I'm thinking of doing a bit of that. Or not, if you don't want me to do that, let me know. uh, Or tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. You are having tea with Alice. outside they were enjoying themselves they just weren't vocalizing how dare you say that it was a shit gig because they didn't give you the response that you thought it deserved without you taking into account the environment that's actually in Mm. yeah I get that I mean I had that with a show with a a review of my show which I thought was a a legitimate criticism although I don't I don't like reading reviews someone sent this to me Mm. Uh, which was, don't do that, please. Um, uh, they sent me this review, and it was from a feminist blog website, and mm-hmm. they said that they liked my show, but at, at one point I was... Um, I told the audience that they were shit, which I don't think is entirely accurate. It's part of this, a song that I sing where mm-hmm. I say the audience yep. is wooden. Yep. And I don't use that line if the audience is not wooden. Yep. <laughs> but I do uh, it as a kind of a dig of, like, mm. come on, guys, pep up a little. Yep. Um, but yeah, they didn't like that. They said that made them feel, uh, resentful and shy and self-conscious and about their, you know, their responsibility, their job was to Mm. come and sit and, and not to participate. That's, Mm. that was kind of the criticism. And I think it's one of the few times where I'll, I'll go, well, you know, as just one person's opinion, mm-hmm. which you have kind of have to take reviews as just one yep. person's opinion, that's a legitimate opinion to have. Mm-hmm. I don't agree, mm. but I'm going to make more of an effort to be kinder to the audience because of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, I just started recording, so <laughs> we've been talking for a while. Um, <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Oh, that's the best way. Mm? I've had that. I've had my laugh recognised in a fifteen hundred seat venue. Wow. I had the person on. I was in the like the third last row of the Hamer Hall. 
person on stage re- reacted. I saw him react to my laugh. I mean, the third last row of Hamer Hall. Wow. On that's the... a that's a powerful laugh. <laughs> yeah. I, again, also, that performer I've been seeing for, tw- for 20 years. Yeah. So if he doesn't know my laugh by now, there's a problem. Yeah, he, he hasn't been making you laugh for 20 years. Yeah, pretty much. Which uh, So you are a Sam Street or a comedy uh, fan for 20 years? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Next year will be 20 years of me going to comedy festival. And when I'm, you go to a comedy festival, how many shows would you see? 40 to 70. 40 to 70 in... Three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a lot of shows. <laughs> it's I, rather. Um, and you're drinking green tea, Gokuro green tea, and I'm drinking or have just drunk some turmeric and uh, chamomile tea. So if I fall asleep... During yeah. this, I'll tuck you in and you just tuck me unlock in. the door. Don't no, don't reveal the fact that my podcasting studio is my bedroom. You can, it's fine. You already did. Uh, it's a it's a very classy operation that we run here. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting responsibility to be like that much of an audience member. Yeah, and it's that weird thing of I, I'm not a passive audience member as well. Mm. Um, I get really frustrated if I do kind of switch off during a show. I do try, uh, I want, it's especially during festival shows. Um, if someone's putting together 50 minutes or however long worth of material, I want to pay attention to all of it. Yeah. Um, admittedly, my memory is rubbish, uh, thankfully, in a way. Um well, yes, because going to a lot of comedy means you get to see a lot of... Particularly if you follow individual acts, you're yeah. seeing the same jokes multiple times. Yes. Um, and that's part of the reason why I'm still around, is I can do that. You have a goldfish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a goldfish. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, God, I'll laugh at that bit again. Um, that does help <laughs> a little bit. But then again, also, um, I've no, well and truly, uh, my friends who also go to say comedy, we actually have a different language. Because favourite punchlines, favourite routines, favourite moments creep into sort of everyday conversations. So we've got all got references that as a group you'll say and as a group you'll know. But anyone else will look and go, who are you crazy, crazy people and what, why was that interesting? So, okay, okay, that's fascinating. As... A- a community of kind of I don't know what you would call yourselves pr- professional audiences <laughs> except that you, you're the ones who are paying a lot of money um, <laughs> but you're re- you know these kind of beyond regular people yeah you're, you're omnipresent in the scene you are the backbone of the scene the scene doesn't mm. exist without you going to gigs basically mm. this group yeah. would comedians understand that language if they sat in with a group of these yes. super fans, well, you would they would get the same jokes as you make. Yeah, because okay. often they're the ones that. Well, well, actually, it'd be interesting. Um, because comedy has generations, and I don't know a lot of the current generation. I don't go to a lot of clubs at the moment. Mm. Um, it's kind of drop that that side's not a big part as as big a part in my life at the moment. As the um, oh, as festivals and just I um, I work uh, I do a couple of volunteer jobs and other things which um, most of the time means that 
going to the sort of stand, the, the regular rooms is not really I don't have the energy to to, to go to them as much mm-hmm. um, by any stretch when I mean when I started I was going to the cheese shop uh, you you're a lot younger than me um, like this was the room in Melbourne run by Dave Taranto and the amazing Janet A. McLeod who are still running the lo- local laughs down in St Kilda um, without them I wouldn't still be around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to cheese shop every week. I went to Elbow Grease run by Jed Wood. I went to, uh, God, I went down to the ESPY a few times. Not as much. Mm. But I was doing two, three, four rooms a week when I first started. Which is as many as you do as a comedian. Mm. Sometimes more. Yeah. Um, and... Even before that, I'd gone to, like, I'd, I'd, I saw the Doug Anthony All-Stars live. I saw Scaredy's live. Like, every O-Week gig at uni that was a, that was comedy, I went to. Um, and what about comedy made you want to do that? It's um, like, okay, back up a step. Yeah. How much money do you think you would have spent on comedy over 20 years? Oh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> It's between one and two thousand dollars a festival. Okay, for twenty years. For twenty years. Wow. But that's not that's not true because a couple of times I've had passes. It's okay. rare. Like there was one year my friends and I put on a show during comedy festival. It was a um, benefit show, um, so we had passes that year. But even still, I still pay for some shows. Yeah. It's, because you want to. I want to, and also. I think I gave you a pass one year. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that was the year I had to give up um, that second half of Comedy Festival because of my day job. Basically, I had to sacrifice my life for my day job um, that year, which was kind of interesting. That was that was yeah. It's not it's not often that my day job gets in way it gets in the way of my comedy, um, but uh, yeah. But it's yeah. So there's been a couple of years that I had passes um but yeah it's and it varies but it's usually a minimum of a thousand dollars per festival and that doesn't include oh it was in edinburgh in 99 2004 2009 so this is just melbourne this is just melbourne so not edinburgh not edinburgh i think i've done six seven edinburgh festivals i've worked two of them i worked for the because it was that weird thing when in 99 Oh, when I first started, it was like a rite of passage, mm. going over to Edinburgh and working for the Guild of Balloon. It's what people like me did. Yes. Um, and I got lucky enough to do that in 2001. And then the next year I was the box office manager for another venue called The Underbelly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was two, two Edinburghs I worked. 99 I visited for a couple of weeks, 2004 I visited. It's like my default holiday because, oh, God, it's, it, Edinburgh's the home I never knew I had until I got there. Mm-hmm. I'd say there's a lot of comedians who would say that. Yeah. Why have you never done stand-up? For somebody <laughs> who loves it as much as you do. I mean, there's a couple um, of reasons you could say. I mean... A, I don't think I'm funny. Uh, no, I actually... That has never stopped anyone, <laughs> <laughs> including me. 
I think it was a matter of, partly it was a matter of timing. Um, so when I first started properly going to comedy, um, it was around the time that Will Anderson was starting, Justin Hamilton was starting, Adam Richard was doing, Scott, I saw Scott Brennan's second gig. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who else? Rove had come over from Perth and they, like the tail end of Duff and Rove and then Rove doing his solo stand-up. Um, and I was, I tried to write some stuff. Uh-huh. I wrote some stuff down. I looked at it. I looked at what I was seeing on stage and went, okay, nope. I can't, I can't write well enough to just, to, to be as good as the people I'm seeing. That's interesting because you know when everyone starts, they're rubbish. Oh, yeah. It, you just didn't, you just didn't want to do that. But, well, partially I also couldn't work out, what was it? How much of me would be on stage? Uh huh. You didn't have that exhibitionist streak. Um, I'm. I mean, I'm always been the willing volunteer. If you, because partially because oh, there's nothing worse than someone getting up and being obstructive or being trying to out funny the comedians. And I mean, I'm not going pick me, pick me. But everyone's always known if you need a safe someone that's will play along and not fuck fuck you over mm. you pull me out of an audience and I have no problem with that but I think it was more how much of me like me all my faults and foibles and how much could I actually show while still protecting myself that's interesting I mean, I've always been... No, that's not true. I was very um, stoic growing up to the point of of fault. I wouldn't tell anyone. Mm. And then I kind of flipped over in the opposite direction and started... I mean, it was one of those early 20s philosophical things Mm. (laughs) that you think is a great idea at the time but may or may not be just part (laughs) of growing up um, where I went, oh, there's no point in building a wall because there's always the wall mm. will always fall. Mm. You want to be water, mm. as in completely open and completely indestructible. So if you just put it all out there, mm. there's nothing that anyone can be like, ha, huh, and reveal about you. Mm. That's interesting. But then I don't talk about my relationships on stage. Yeah. But everyone's got their line. Mm. I mean, I've seen people talk about relationships they've never had on stage, so... (laughs) (laughs) They... Yeah. I think it was just... Oh, middle... Yeah. A, I didn't think I was funny. B, what I was writing, I couldn't... believe in enough to actually think... Especially with the people around me that I was meeting and watching and talking to. I couldn't be that I couldn't do that so now you're the kind of reverse celebrity mm. the celebrity that only celebrities know <laughs> oh no with my stupid love no uh, oh, I've had people after I know what you are <laughs> <laughs> alright whatever 
You know how some people are like, oh, he's the comedian's comedian. Yeah. You're the fan's fan. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird that I've actually had people not want to talk to the comedian standing there because they want to talk to me about a recording that I'm on. Yeah, exactly. Which is hilarious. I just feel Only... like it's so wonderful and ridiculous. But, um, yeah, my first ever Edinburgh, I had comedians going, oh, I've got reviewers in Kenya. Yeah, Can sure. you come and do your laugh? Uh-huh. That's... Because it also gives permission for people to laugh. It does. That's one of the weird things about comedy is that the laughing is not just a response to something that's funny, no. technically funny. Mm. It's a res- it's a like laughter as a human thing is much more complicated oh, than that. Yeah. Like you've you can occasionally get a reluctant laugh. Mm. out of an audience you can get that but you can't get it usually more than once or twice no i saw that uh tonight at a gig Mm. where there was a comedian who was doing jokes that i've seen get absolutely raucous responses before but he just came on on the wrong foot and he had slightly the wrong attitude and the whole audience was just staring at him Mm -hmm. and He's a very uh, talented comedian. He managed to get some laughs out of them after that. But it was that thing of of people were refusing to laugh at good jokes. Yeah. Like well-constructed, good, solid jokes. And then it, and one of the acts came out, threw out a really cheesy yeah. line, and the audience laughed yeah. hard. Yeah. So it's more complex than just whether the joke is well-written. Oh, there's an energy... And it's about, I mean, not to get all hippie-ish, but there's an exchange of energy that's happening. Yeah. Where you have to make the audience your friend. Yes. When there's one comedian who um, I went to see about four years ago, four years ago, they'd not been in Melbourne for, for, for a number of years. And I was so excited to see them, so excited. It was, I'm going to be there. It was like a Wednesday night. And the comedian came out and basically spent 10 minutes complaining that we weren't enough people. (laughs) And I've since been told this comedian is doing great work, doing really good work. I still cannot bring myself to put down money to see that person again because I was there. I'm, I'm sitting there waiting, wanting to love what you are going to do. Mm. And they spent 10 minutes telling us we were not enough. And then oddly enough the rest of the the rest of the 40 the rest of 50 minutes didn't go so well. Didn't go so well. That's um, an interesting thing. Mm. Because you always think about <laughs> the comedian as being the needy one in the audience comedian relationship, but if you're there you're using this language of like they made you feel inadequate. Oh yeah. Like as a relationship thing, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting turn of phrase to use. They made you feel like you were not enough. That's yeah. a, and you wanted to love them, yeah, and you were there ready for them, and they just made you feel inadequate, and so you're never going to go back. Yep, that's a, it. Will take it. Will take something special. What would something special be? Have you turned around on anyone before? So you go into these people open-hearted, yep. generally. You're, yep. you're putting down money yep. on someone hoping that they'll make you yep. love them yep. for 50 minutes slash the rest of their career. Yeah. 
because you seem to buy into people oh yeah for the course of their career because mm-hmm. um, it's fascinating oh my god watching people over a career is fascinating watching where they go and what they do and what ideas they explore and changes of style and changes of uh, intent is fascinating. How much leeway do you give to new comedians? Um, a decent amount. A decent amount. So you saw my first full run yep. at Melbourne. And I... I went, I need, I, I think my, my, from memory my thought is, I need to watch you. I'm very intrigued to see what you will do. Uh-huh. So it is that thing of you want to see somebody's long-term oh, yeah. career. Absolutely. Absolutely. What so, happens in a career? Oh. Give me two templates. <laughs> two different templates oh, for wow. what you see, people you follow. So many go into radio and stop. They become radio people. Mm-hmm. And I've seen I've seen people that I've adored end up end up have a very successful career on radio, and then not be able to do stand up anymore because they're used to commercial radio, which is I've got two or three minutes to do a thing, and so they do they work in two or three minute chunks, and that becomes a habit. It absolutely becomes a habit, and it's a, a way of thinking. So people that I was used to seeing five, six, seven minutes explorations or, or whatever, they're and, and deep thoughts and things, they go back to surface two or three-minute chunks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going, oh, the person I, I... Which you might see on a, a line-up show, but you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't want in a festival. Oh, God, not, not for 50 minutes. Or some of the ones that end up radio, they tr- they try and do two hour shows. I'm like, oh, I don't know. A, they tend to price me out of their market because, eh. Um, but, uh, 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 yeah, and and great, good on them. Like, comedy is hard to make to make a living out of, and if you are, if this is a path that you wish to take, go for it. Absolutely, take it, smash it, make it everything you want it to be. But. Don't forget that stand-up is also a skill. Yeah. Do you feel powerful over comedians? Do you feel that you have power over comedians? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, not for age. No. Mm. Um, occasionally. It's always, it's always interesting when comedians ask for an honest opinion. Because not all of them want it. Can you tell when they ask you whether they actually want it or not? Most of the times, yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've got it wrong. But if someone actually says, I want your honest opinion, and you know, especially, God, during festivals, everyone gets tired, everyone gets overwrought, all the, all the easy filters, all the, some of the perception stuff, well, that goes away. We all know this. Two weeks in, if you actually ask someone for an honest opinion... You'd better be ready for it because they're not able to be polite. Mm. Um, and when you say someone, you mean someone like you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, anyone. No, if you're actually genuinely wanting an honest opinion, 
or if you're not genuinely wanting an honest opinion, don't ask for an honest opinion two and a half weeks into the festival. Because you're 36 shows in. Because you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God, I, I think I broke, I broke, I broke two comedians' hearts one year. Oh, many years ago. And one doesn't talk to me anymore and the other one now passes this on as a piece of advice. It was interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, watch, I watch the show because I, I, I read all the blurbs. And especially if it's a comedian I don't know. And it, I know it's harder. I know it's getting harder and harder that these have to be written so far in advance nowadays. But it used to be that the the blurbs and stuff got written relatively close. So what you got in the, in the program is going to be what's in the show. Um, yeah, I read this blurb and went, I'm really intrigued by how you're going to tackle this idea. And I do that a bit. Um, and so I went along and what I got was... Two young men doing half hours, 20 minutes of stand-up each. And the idea that attracted me into their show wasn't mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, they asked me. Both of them came up to me and went, what did you think? Went, Solid stand-up. Maybe this bit, this bit. Yeah. But I wish, I, I wish I'd seen the show that you presented in your blurb. Or at least a nod to it. At least acknowledge that that was the idea that you'd started with. Like I said, one doesn't talk to me anymore. The other one passes that on as a piece of advice. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. You're not going to name names? No. No, you're not. No, they know who they are. <laughs> Whether they listen or it's a whole separate thing. No, no one listens to this podcast. Oh. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. My, um, my hosting costs went up tenfold after I was on Will Anderson's <laughs> podcast, which I assume is doesn't mean my audience has multiplied by ten. I assume people were downloading multiple podcasts, mm. but uh, apparently now I have three listeners. Now, <laughs> uh, I have to, wait, I had a note that I wanted yep. to, let me just, yeah. you can just talk, say scandalous things <laughs> about how talented Alice is. <laughs> Mm. So, it's actually really interesting tonight watching uh, you and Tegan talk. Mm. That was that was fascinating to me Why? because I love watching Tegan Higginbottom yeah. was talking to me today about her show. She had an idea for a show, and we've had to put in our our names and blurbs for names of the show and blurbs for the show for Melbourne next year. And she's picked a topic that has just been made very political mm. by news event. I'm going to talk to her about it on the podcast, mm. but we were talking about that. Mm. Is that what was interesting? Well, it was. I, I love watching two clever people that I respect disagreeing on a subject but completely respecting each other's opinion. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were talking about Islamophobia, I think, mm. which I think is not a very good word. Mm. I think what a lot of people say when they mean when they say Islamophobia, they mean racism. Mm. I think it's perfectly legitimate to be very specific <laughs> to be against all religion or even to be against one religion. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fine thing because what that means is you're disagreeing with an idea. Yeah, I don't have a problem with anyone disagreeing with any idea. Yeah, even even if. Like when I say I don't have a problem with any idea, like if you 
don't think the Holocaust happened. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't like that opinion, but I don't have a problem with you mm-hmm. having it. If you want to discuss that, I'm, yeah. I'm going to discuss it. Reason and logic and yeah. facts yeah, yeah. being relevant, but yeah. yeah. I think there is a distinction to be made between being against... Well, I think I think the distinction that I was drawing with Tegan was that she's a secular humanist, mm-hmm. which means she thinks that any anyone who professes to hold an, a faith or an opinion mm-hmm. will allow that faith to bow in the face of humanity. Yeah. So that for her, being a good Christian would mean if your child turned out to be gay, you would love and accept your child. Fold exactly over that part of the are, Bible. That, yeah, yeah. You'd fold over the part of the Bible that says mean things about gay people, and you yeah. would follow the other parts. Yeah. Because your your compassion and humanism would bow to the reality of the world. Yeah. And I think that the difference between that and somebody who has a religion is mm. that they believe that their own personal beliefs and feelings are less valid than, less important than Mm. an external force. Yeah. Right? Mm. And I think that that is in some ways a more sensible way to be. Mm. Like I I don't have this kind of faith or religion, but I do understand why that's a appealing mm. and b not stupid yeah to say that you're always going to have the right reaction yeah that you're always going to that your sense of humanity will mm. overcome factual inaccuracies i think is actually quite stupid that just because it's, you know just because it's you hopeful yeah it's it is hopeful but i do like so i think that I can understand being against religion. I can also understand being against atheism mm. because there's an arrogance to atheism. Is it what? I think either side is I'm right and you're wrong. Mm. And that's always hard. Yeah. Um, I think there's just levels of how much I'm going to compare like reconfirm and reconfirm that I am right yeah and how much you are wrong then has consequences yeah because not religious in any way shape or form but I've had it's always weird going here's a statement but that's never a good start (laughs) that's exactly Um, what we want in the podcast um why would you believe that you are smarter than God mm. versus why would you take the word of a book over your own real-life experience of the world? I've done too much study on risk to know that people overestimate hazards. Uh, <laughs> what is, what's the hazard in this instance? When... It, this is kind of my day job leading into this. If anyone assessing something to be afraid of, a risk, hazard, whatever you want to call it, something to be afraid of, big events that happen once 
will always carry more weight than small events that happen a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Malaysian Airlines may never recover properly. Mm-hmm. And um, because it was always that, oh, yeah, the plane that never got found. There's been, since then, there's been, there was a French plane that went down, there's been a couple of Russian planes that have gone down. They, I don't even know the name of the airlines that are involved in those. Malaysian Airlines will always have a stain. Doesn't, it won't stop anyone. Yeah, well, people always think about this. I mean, I talk about this on stage, but people think about the risk that an attacker will leap out at you in the middle of the night in the street mm. when the reality is it's more likely to be a yeah. guy you've gone on three dates with mm. or your boyfriend mm-hmm. or your stepfather. Like, that's... Yeah. That's the react. That's the reality. But um, when people are assessing what to be scared of or what they feel most about... It's those big things is the ones that they will automatically carry carry more weight, mm. um, and that works for personal safety. That works for the way you whether you choose to walk through a park or not at night, the um, where you where you want to live. All of those things. It's the big events that people remember, and I've suddenly forgotten where I was heading with that. Uh, <laughs> that's all right we can go back uh, to my notes yeah. um do you i guess what i was getting mm-hmm. at before when you say when i say you do you feel power over comedians there, there is a like there's a power dynamics thing that happens where yeah. between comedians and fans mm. where i mean at the beginning of their comedy careers all comedians are fans yeah oh yeah um all comedians are comedy fans to mm. a certain extent yeah Otherwise, um, how do you even find out the art exists if you have never experienced it? Yes, I think I'm sl- I'm slightly unusual in that I was a not a stand-up comedy fan mm-hmm. when I started doing stand-up. I was a comedy fan, yeah. but a sketch comedy fan. Yeah. And then I started doing stand-up, and then I found out about stand-up. Oh, wow. Yep. So that probably has something to do with the way I do stand-up. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I think there is this shift I, for some people when they get more power that they start mm. to feel above their fans or above their audience. Let's put fans aside, um, but above their audience, despite the fact that we don't exist without an audience. Mm. An audience is the canvas. Mm. It's like a painter saying, I only respect paint, I don't respect <laughs> canvas. Yeah, um, I think some of that... when people get to a certain level of fame, the num- the amount of energy people want from them or the number of people that want something from them can become overwhelming. So it's, e- it's easier when you've got 50 people that love you to kind of actually give a little there. When that turns into 5,000, you either... Like, I've seen people try and still have those connections with 5,000 people, or however many people, and it burns them out. So they then actually have to shut up against everyone because otherwise it, then that gets really weird or potentially gets really weird or they've got to be really careful about who they then choose to keep having interactions with um, because... You can get weird, jealous fans. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're, um, 
Elaborate. <laughs> uh, um, you don't have to name names. I don't know a lot of names. It's hilarious. The number of people that know my name that I don't know these. It's it's really interesting. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm visible. I'm audible. I, so you have hmm. fans that are jealous of you. I don't know about jealous, but they fans know. of other people. Mm. But they know me, and I, I, yeah, I have people question, "How do you know so so and so?" And uh, and some of it's just having been around for twenty years, because that's odd. It's really odd. There are not a lot of people like me that have that keep coming back that haven't managed to to get a husband and children and actual entire different lives um because it's it is unusual most a lot of people a lot of the fans i'm aware of they go see comedy around uni because you've got time and you can stay up until two o'clock in the morning at a gig that goes till two o'clock in the morning and there's no consequences um and then they get real jobs and they get serious partners and they go away sometimes they come back um but there's usually a chunk of time in the middle if they do come back there's a chunk of time in the middle that they haven't and that's fine like i i dropped out of the scene for a while just because it started becoming work it started becoming like um it's it it is really hard to explain but as a like as a punter as an audience, it's work. You, you're expending energy. You're, if, if you're actually... To me, if you're respecting the people on stage, you are committing to listening to what they're presenting. And that takes energy. Um, and uh, I, I... Yeah, there was a point where it felt like if I didn't give a response that a comedian wanted, I got questioned. Mm. Why didn't you like that? Yeah, or, or I, I, I didn't hear you, you mustn't have, mustn't, mustn't have not been there. And I was like, I, I was. I, I had a cold and I was tired. Why am I having to justify this to you? Yeah, why? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> oh, okay. And so there was a while I just went, oh, no, I actually have to step away because it became work for me. I was like, no, no, this is not work. This is this is my fun. This is my joy. This is my something that I want to give energy to because it brings me happiness. So what's your criterion for somebody whose career you'll follow? More than just you'll laugh at their jokes, but you'll go and see 20 years' worth of their shows. Oh, they've got to be always working their craft. Like, in whatever direction it is. Um, uh, I love seeing, I, I love musical comedy. It's, it's one of my, it's one of my kind of niche things that I just love. Um, and A, one of my requirements for good musical comedy is they can actually sing. That's always useful. <laughs> um, and it's not just, oh, uh, we're not quite good enough as stand-ups and we can kind of play guitars and so we can write weaker jokes that we can get away with playing guitars too 
that's that bit not I know so the guys much you're effect. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, they they turn up every few years. It's always yeah. Um, it's it's a thing, and that's fine. If they're making, if they're happy doing that, that's fine. I, you're not gonna invest. I'm in not that. gonna invest in that. Um, uh, but people that are putting truth, like truth, tr- uh, part of who they are on stage. I want, uh, I want that little bit more. Like, uh, I've watched Justin Hamilton grow and and push himself all the time. And there are three comedians that I trust to make me cry and it be okay. Justin, Michael Workman, and you. Oh, well, that's a good <laughs> And that's, that's hard because comedy is joy and laughter and whatever. But if you do it right, you actually have, like, comedians have a lot of power because you can connect with people to really make them feel something. Whatever, and the ones that I despise are the ones that know this and do it for manipulative reasons. There's not a, that you can watch them do the mechanics going, oh, if I do this, this will happen. It's like, no, no, if I can spot that, you're not doing it cleverly enough and you can go away. Where the ones that I do trust, it is just this truth and this point and there is a reason and there is a and ultimately there is a hope that comes out of it and there's a so it's that's powerful and I enjoy that and I'm willing to go on that journey with people that are willing to try that um because that's interesting so you like interesting things? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I, from Laura Davis's twisted little mind, I really am keen to see what that produces in the next five years. I'm really keen to see what that little mind produces in the next five years. So who would say... who? I can't keep you too much longer because right. you've got a midnight curfew. Um, but who are your kind of five people... Who you would say people have to go and see at the next festival, excluding me because I'm feeding you tea. <laughs> wow. Say you have, you no longer have a multi thousand dollar budget for <laughs> the festival, you have. Oh, yeah. I will always see Justin Hamilton. Mm hmm. Always. Um, for my birth, I'm really lucky my birthdays, this is usually the second week comedy festival. The easiest thing in the world is go, you know what? I'm going to do something that I know I will enjoy. If you want to join me, great. If you don't, I'm still going to do something I enjoy. So you have a birthday party that is bringing people to to a show. Yes. So you have a birthday party that is basically giving a gift to a comedian. Pretty much. (laughs) Of however many many friends you have, you just serve them up on a platter. Pretty much. That's a very kind thing. That's a good birthday present. For a long time. Yeah. So you'll do that. Um, yeah, well, if, uh, okay, um, Laura, Laura Davis, Laura Davis, again, 
very keen to see what well, she's... Well, she's 26 and she's doing her eighth comedy festival yeah. show. She's got a lot under her belt for someone mm. so young. Yeah. Watson, um, Tegan Higginbotham and Adam McKenzie and now Liam Ryan. Um, oh, my God, what they did at the Old Melbourne Jail is some of... Like, that absolute border of uh, comedy and scary. Like, what they did there... I will remember for many, many years. I think I saw that show six times. Comedy Festival Fringe. Yeah, I think I saw it six times and bought people and told people to go because it was astounding. And I've been watching them for years and a lot of times I will watch them very early and very late because I love seeing how what what is a scripted show twists. Yeah due to audience response and them finding finding their own funny kind of path through it. Love Watson. Um, oh, two more. If Geraldine Quinn's doing a show, I will go see Geraldine. Um, Tripod, if they're doing a show. Um, is that enough? Is it, I mean, they're, 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 yeah, they're all long-term kind of... Well, Laura's, I think, yeah, I've only sort of known a couple of years. I've only seen a couple of her shows. Um, but, yeah, very intrigued. But, yeah, I, I, again, musical comedy. I love Tripod and always have. And what is the thing that will turn you off a comedian? Cheap. Easy. Someone that's phoning it in. Um, oh, yeah, the comedy club I was in in London, it was, apart from the, the MC was amazing, Tim Fitzheim, who I adore, um, I think that's before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, I, you went to a comedy club you know. in London. So I went, uh, yeah, I just came back from overseas, uh, went to a comedy club in London. Very mainstream comedy club. And because I wanted to see Tim for Time, who came out to do The Gambler. I'd never seen him before. Loved his show. Went Was in Edinburgh last year. Dragged people going, you have to see this. I really want you... And changed our travel plans based on his show, which was just insane. You did what? Where? Can we get there? Yeah, we've got a car. Awesome. Done. Um, and he's just this ridiculous... He's, to me, he's the true English eccentric. He's the one person who is not a royal mm. who has a, a toilet named after him. Yes. By the... The Thomas Crapper Thomas Company. Crapper Company. Yeah. Yeah. Just, what? Just I, eccentric, wonderful human. Um, but the rest of what was presented at that comedy club made me physically ill. It was cheap, racist, sexist, homophobic kind of. Um, the the the. I mean, the audience were. This is one of the few times I'm just going. The audience weren't helping, because they didn't care. They, they basically wanted to get... They just wanted to get drunk. Whatever. Um, but when the first act is calling the group of girls a bunch of slags, it's like, no, they hadn't actually asked for that. They hadn't... You, they'd done nothing for you to call them that. So why is that your first go-to? Um, and I was going, oh... It was, it, was, it was horrible. It was really horrible. And... I kind of came back and had this little mini existential crisis going, 
God, what what would have happened if that was all I had available when I started seeing comedy? Like, no, no, I wouldn't still be doing this. There is no way would I still be doing this. Um, so, but yeah. And by so, this, you mean investing like a significant yeah, portion of your this life? This would in... not be my life. There is no way that I, I, I. This would not be such a significant part of my life. I would not have gotten to meet you. I would not have got to gotten to meet. Tegan, um, like all these people who I adore and respect their work and who make me happy, I I don't my life would be very different and probably a lot poorer for it. Well, well, emotionally, emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll I'll let you go in a minute, but I yeah. want to finish with a question: What does it take to lose you as a fan? Because you're investing in a 20-year career. Mm. Um. What does it take to go, no, nah, that's a sunk cost, I'm walking away. I'm not interested in hearing you ever again. Um, I've had people come close. Um, I'm getting good at picking them. Um, It's int- It's rare. It's really rare nowadays that I just go, nah. Um, I mean, partially because I've been doing this twenty years. If if I I, I start by a first glance through the f- festival guide, and I go, there's thirty shows, of people that I know and trust, and and. Um, I've had shows that have been, less than great, but I'll give people an off night like. I can see structure. I can see it's that weird thing. Um, I can probably predict the first punchline of most newcomers easily. Half if I pick if I can listen to any of their syntax, chances are I can. I in my head I've already he- oh you're heading towards whatever. That's easy. It's the second and third joke and the fourth one. They're the hard ones and they're the ones I can't do, mm. or I've not bothered to learn how to do because uh, they're the ones that are surprising they're the ones I love where I go okay I thought I thought you were going oh thank goodness you went somewhere entirely different but for me to just go not nah, never again they have to stop caring they have to stop caring um I was when I was working in Edinburgh there was a comedian that had sold out 150 seat room that it had a bad day and he walked into the venue and announced to the box office staff I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna blow this gig he deliberately went on stage and again 100 people 150 people that wanted to love him and paid money wanted to love him he went there and gave them nothing less than nothing he didn't even try rope like it was you would have been better he would have been better cancelling the show um and that moment i just went no i don't care you no. if you're going to be that unprofessional everyone has a bad day yeah fine you had a fight with your girlfriend whatever it was you've got 150 people that want to love you at least for an hour put in the effort find find a way to channel whatever energy it is that you've got, find a way 
to at least give them a show whether you're feeling it or not deep down inside whatever either suck it up and cancel it but don't hurt these people don't don't do that <laughs> um I, yeah I, again there's one of those ones that I, I now don't respect you in any way shape or form because i can't i can't i can't do that because you this is your job do your job um, so someone really has to work very hard for me to, that to the point that they've stopped caring, for me to stop caring. That's a good metaphor for life. Um, do you want people to be able to find you online, or would you like to sink back into the anonymity of the crowd? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter if you want. Um, it's uh, Sam. Sam Streeter, S-A-M-S-T-R-E-E-T-R. Um, Ooh, like grinder. Yeah, uh, I think someone, <laughs> someone got my actual name. Um, I retweet a lot. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't necessarily post a lot, but there's a lot of stuff that... You amplify other people's voices. Yeah. yeah. Which seems to be uh, your calling. Kind of, yeah. I do love um, one of my other kind of through comedy I ended up working for a, a, a games company um, they do games that grown-ups grown-ups play and it's giving me so much joy at the moment so and you're yeah, yeah pop-up playground you're on uh, your turn yes for them yeah. that's a fun gig that's a fun gig all right uh if you want to hit up Sam and ask her questions about the life of a pro fan <laughs> Uh, hit up on Twitter or email me alicerfraser at gmail.com and I will pass it on uh, I've got to go I've got to get Sam's signature <laughs>